0: Well, again, good morning. Good morning and Merry Christmas. My name is George Davis. Great to see you this week at our experience Christmas. I want to just echo uh, my thanks to those of you that were involved and particular thanks to our Beyond the Walls team for all the hours of work that went into this. And just a great time for me. Just the highlight was just interacting with people, just having conversations. And hearing more people's stories. And maybe even for you, you may may be here this morning because you joined us this week and you decided to check us out on Sunday. And if that's the case, uh, we really do hope you feel welcome this morning. As we continue getting ready for Christmas, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Fifteen years ago, our family was living in Fargo, North Dakota, And I was actually diagnosed with a hearing problem that would require surgery. So I was referred to a specialist at the University of Minnesota. And upon the day, I drove down to Minneapolis to have the consult. And, you know, the consultation started by being interviewed by a nurse. And she took my medical history. And there I was in that exam room and she got all that important information then she left the room a little later a med student came in got some additional information, did a physical physical exam, then a little later the, the surgeon came in this time with the med student in tow and uh, he got additional information, he basically repeated the, the physical exam teaching all along the way and, and he, he confirmed the diagnosis yes you do need surgery and then he explained the procedure, it was a day procedure he explained what was going to happen and Then he asked, you know, do you have any more questions? And I didn't have any questions. And I was was ready. I was, you know, I'm ready to get out of the chair now. And, uh, but then he asked one more question. And this was a question I didn't expect. In fact, my guess is you probably never had a doctor ask you this question before. Because he looked at me and he goes, Mr. Davis, would you like to know the history of this surgical procedure? And before I could answer, he sits down and just launches into this kind of lecture on surgical history. And, you know, I'm sitting there, the med student. I mean, it's very interesting information. I mean, I love history, but I've got to tell you, I was sitting there after a couple of hours of all this consultation and what's going through my mind is, you know, I don't really need to know this, <laughs> right? I, I, I just need you to do this procedure. I don't need the backstory. I just need you to help me hear better. Have you ever had situations like that? Maybe situations where someone's just giving you too much information, it feels like, or they're telling you more about the background than you need to know. And your response is something like that you know, I don't need to know the backstory. I I just need you to do this sometimes, right? See, for those of us who are parents, we've had that experience. No, you don't. You know, I don't know. I don't need the long story. Here's what I need you to do. You know that experience? It feels like somebody's giving you too much information. I don't I just need you to get it done. Now here's 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 the reason I ask. When it comes to Christmas, in so many ways we we love right, we love to focus on the manger. The nativity scene. In fact, my, my guess is that in many of our homes or apartments, if, if we went in this afternoon, we, you, maybe you've got a nativity set just like this. I mean, we've got a couple in our house. And, and when we think about Christmas, this is what we think about. We see the baby, Mary and Joseph, right? The shepherds, the angels, the animals. This is what we sing about. This is, this is what pictures are on our Christmas cards. And yet, when Matthew tells the story of Jesus, Matthew says, You also need to know the backstory. Right? This morning, we're continuing this series entitled What's in a Name. We're looking at five names of Jesus that we find in the opening two chapters of Matthew's Gospel as Matthew tells the Christmas story. And what is fascinating is that each of these names, in its own way, is rooted deeply in Israel's history. Each of these names is rooted deeply in the storyline of the Old Testament. Each of these names is rooted deeply in the pages of Scripture. It's almost like we have this conversation with Matthew, right? You know, hey, Matthew, you know, tell us the story of Jesus. Tell us about the angels and the shepherds and the star and. Get to the joy to the world part. That's my favorite song, right? And Matthew, in essence, says, no, 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 you don't, you don't get it. We'll get to that. But before we get to that, I've got to give you the backstory. And Maybe you are like, well, no, you know, I don't, I don't really need, I just need you to tell me the story. I just need you to get it done. I don't need to know the back He's like, no, 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 you don't get it. If you really want to understand this, if you really want to understand who Jesus is, if you really want to understand what all of this means to you, you need the backstory as well. And that's exactly what Matthew does with these different names of Jesus. If you're in Matthew's gospel, we've been looking at Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And in the very opening statement of Matthew's gospel, we have these three titles. We've already looked at two of them, right? He says, he talks about Jesus Christ, that is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the promised one. As we talked about it, it it ties deep into these expectations that one day God is going to send a liberator. One day he's going to send someone who can actually truly bring freedom. And then last week we saw that Jesus is described as the son of Abraham, right? And that taps us back into one of Israel's most famous historical figures, Abraham. And the promise is made to this ancient figure, right? The promises that one day he's going to be a, a great nation, one day God is going to bless the world through him. And this means that when you become part of the Christmas story, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you... You, you become part of this bigger thing that God is doing where he is bringing people together from all nations, all backgrounds. You become part of this movement that is designed to bring barriers down that tend to isolate and segregate. Jesus is the son of Abraham. And now we come to the third title. We're going to talk about the third title mentioned in this opening verse, and that is this. Jesus is the son of David. Once again, that's a title, right, that takes us back deep into Israel's history. So this morning, as much as we love looking at the manger and the baby and the angels, just, let's just let Matthew take us back for a moment to give us a little bit more of that backstory. Now, of course, Son of David takes us back to the, one of the great figures of the Old Testament, one of the great figures of Israel's history, King David. David was one of the three kings that reigned when Israel was a united country. Saul, David, Solomon. And if you add the the additional kings that would reign when um, the nation becomes divided into a northern and southern kingdom, in some ways David is just one of many kings in Israel's history. Yet David was always viewed as the king. David was always viewed as the ultimate king, right? He was a hero. Remember David and Goliath. He was a warrior. He was a poet. Even though he stumbled and faltered in different ways, he was also described as a man after God's own heart. Furthermore, he was the recipient of God's promise that somehow his throne, his royal line, would ultimately rule forever. So what we're going to see is Matthew tells the story of Jesus. He he, he wants your mind to go back to the story of David. And I think he he reminds us of David in different ways. Obviously, he describes Jesus as the son of David. But notice he then immediately moves into a genealogy. Starting in uh, verse 2, you have this genealogy that leads to Jesus. And as you read through this uh, genealogy, you will notice that it includes individuals who in different ways had served as king in Israel's history. But interestingly, only one of them is specifically described as king, and that is David, verse 6. Jesse, the father of King David. Once again, when you talk about the king in Israel's history, it was always David. There's another way I think actually the author highlights David in this genealogy. You get to the end, and, and notice how the author describes this genealogy, verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. Of course, he's emphasizing David there again. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now notice what, he, what the author has done here. He says, I've grouped the, the genealogy in three groups of 14. Now, interestingly, this isn't a complete genealogy. And in the ancient world, you you didn't necessarily do that when you told someone's history. The genealogy is selected. Different generations have been left out. But for some reason, the author thought it important to group the names he did include in three groups of 14. That's led to a lot of conversation. Why is 14 important to Matthew? We don't know for sure, but quite possibly the reason is this. You see, in Hebrew, letters can carry numerical value. Letters can stand for numbers. Therefore, names can actually have numerical value. And when we look at the name David, which is actually three letters in Hebrew, the numeric value for the name David is 14. And if that's really what's driving the genealogy, then it's like, it like Matthew's introducing us to Jesus, but in the background there's this chorus slowly reverberating, David, David, David. When you see Jesus, I want you to think about David. And that's the way the story begins. And maybe the question is, okay, so... so why is this so important for Matthew? I mean, why is it so important for Matthew, you know, as, we, as he takes us to, to the story of Jesus, to also take us back to the story of David? Why does, why does he want us to see this link between Jesus and King David? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. First, Matthew highlights this link because of the promises associated with David. Once again, in so many ways, David david is this amazing individual, right? A multi-talented and kind of a man of heroic and, and bigger-than-life personality and character, but he's also a flawed guy with some really big mistakes in his life. And yet, in the midst of all that, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God makes this unique promise that is associated with David. Yes, David is a flawed character, but one day, one of his descendants is going to rule in a totally different way. So we read this in Samuel. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so deep within, deep within the history of Israel, deep within the corporate psyche of Israel, there's this sense that there's this rock-solid promise we can hold on to. This was the promise you held on to when it felt like the kings were letting you down and your leaders were letting you down. This was the promise you held on to when it felt like you were under foreign threat or even foreign oppression and domination. I know things don't look good right now, but one day there's one in the line of David who was coming. That was the promise. One day this would be fulfilled. We see it in one of the most familiar passages associated with Christmas, Isaiah chapter 9, right? For unto us a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign, now notice this, on David's throne and over his kingdom. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Matthew wants us to see David because of the promises associated with David. Jesus is coming as the son of David. But I think think there's another dimension to this. It's not just that Matthew wants us to see the promises linked with the life of David. I think it's also Matthew also wants us to see the process associated with how David became king. I don't know if you remember much about the story of David, but in some sense he became king in, in a surprising and an unconventional way, right? He was anointed as king, but as soon as he is anointed as king, he is threatened, he is a threat to Saul and therefore he, he has to flee. And as it turns out, part of his life he would live in exile. He becomes king in an unconventional way. And the same is true of Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is born. He's announced as king. But just as David was a threat to Saul, Jesus is a threat to Herod. And just as David had to flee, Jesus has to flee. I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but you get to the end of the Christmas story in Matthew's gospel. And his family has had to flee to Egypt. As it turns out, the Christmas story isn't just a story of joy and celebration. It's also a story of exile. Jesus comes as king, but he comes in an unconventional way. He comes as king, but we get to the end of the Christmas story, and his family has had to flee to Egypt because of the threat to Herod. Furthermore, when they finally come back to Egypt, they don't go back to Jerusalem. They go back to this out-of-the-way place, this Nazareth in Galilee. So just like David, Jesus is becoming king, but in a way that isn't expected. And in so many ways, that simply underscores the reality that as Jesus comes as king, he will ultimately be enthroned on a cross. He is a king who rules, but he's a king who triumphs by giving his life away. He's a king who rules through his suffering on our behalf. So just like David, he comes, but he comes in a very unconventional way. So I think Matthew wants us to see Jesus as the son of David. He comes and he fulfills these promises, but he also comes through an unusual process. And Matthew is saying, look, I want you to see him as the king. You've got to see him as the king. And as you see him as the king... Don't let the process distract you from the promise. He truly is coming as king. He truly is the son of David. Now, at this point, you know, at this point, maybe you're thinking, okay, that's all well and good, but you know, I... Most of us, we, we grew up as Americans. We, this whole concept of king, this is foreign to us, right? And the only, the, really the only associations we have with this in our own history isn't positive. So why is, why is this important for us, right? This is, this is just something very foreign to our experience. It's different. I, mean, I, I think about this. My mind always goes back to the fact, you are, know, our, Rose and I lived in England four years. I was a student at the University of Cambridge. And while I was there, uh, the queen of England, came to make a royal visit. She came to open several academic buildings. And uh, upon the day of her uh, visit, I happened to be walking to the university library and I was passing one of these buildings that was about to be opened. And it was early in the morning, but they had already set it up for the ceremony. There was, you know, there was a obviously a plaque in the cornerstone and it was covered by a curtain and she would open the curtain. There was this huge red carpet that had been put out from the entrance of the building all the way to the street. Then all of this area had been roped off. And as I'm walking past this new building, I look around and, and I realize I am the only person on this street corner. I'm all by myself here. So what do you do in that situation? Yeah, that's what I did. I, I jumped the rope, and I, I had to have a little stroll down the red carpet. Those rebellious colonists, right? Um, I just, you know, I just—I mean, this is so far and right. To, I just had to, just for a moment, in my own way, just feel what that was like. Because this is so far into my experience. This is far into our experience, if we're Americans. To talk about Jesus as king, this isn't part of our cultural heritage. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised that for some people in our country, they, they haven't really put together Jesus and the concept of king. They really haven't put those two concepts together until Kanye's latest album, right? I think for some people, wow, I've never, I've never thought about Jesus as king. We don't talk in that language. So why is this important? How can, how can I understand this concept when it seems so foreign to me and, and my own background? Well, maybe, maybe this helps. <laughs> maybe this helps. I'm not sure if this will help or not. But in understanding kind of the role of king, the nature of the king, I think it's fascinating in the, that in the ancient Near East, there, there was another role that was linked with king. In fact, when you explain kind of what a king did and what a king should do, sometimes what you did was you went to this other common everyday image to explain it. And the other everyday image that was used to explain king was this it was the role of shepherd. In different ways in the ancient Near East, a king could be described as a shepherd. And, of course, we see this clearly demonstrated in the pages of Scripture. In so many ways, leadership can be linked with the image of shepherding and the role of king and leader can be linked with the image of a shepherd. And maybe the ultimate example of that is David himself, right? Because David was a shepherd boy who becomes a king. We see this picked up in a variety of places in Scripture. Let me, you know, just, I'll give you two examples, right? Psalm 78, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. Matthew picks up on this very same image because as he is describing Jesus as the son of David, and, and therefore as the king, he taps into this idea that the king is to be a shepherd. So we get to Matthew chapter 2, and we read this promise, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will what? Who will shepherd my people Israel. So I realize the whole idea of being a king, and what does it mean to see Jesus as king, I realize that can be foreign to us, but maybe it helps if we just unpack it a little bit by also thinking about this other image That the king was to be like a shepherd. Now, as it turns out, um, there really were three ways in which a king was like a shepherd. Three different things that a king was to do that a shepherd also did. First, he leads, secondly, he provides. And thirdly, he protects. Now, let me just unpack that for a moment for you. First, he leads, right? I mean, this this was a job of a shepherd was to lead his flock, and you, you at, at different times of the year, the flock would be moving in different parts of the region, or even different parts of the country, in order to find food. A, a shepherd leads. I mean, even, right, Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. And this was the responsibility of the the king. The king was to provide leadership and direction, purpose for his people, for his kingdom. He was to lead. Furthermore, a shepherd and a king provide, right? As a shepherd would lead his sheep, he had to make sure they were nourished, that they were provided for. And once again, we, we see this in Psalm 23. He, re, right, he restores my soul. And even as that was true of a shepherd, that was to be true of the ideal king who, as he leads his people, is, is making sure they're provided for and they have the resources they need. And finally, a shepherd had to protect. He had to protect the flock because there would always be dangers. I mean, at times... You know, a shepherd would be leading his flock through, in different parts of Israel, narrow canyons where danger could be lurking right around the corner. And he had to be vigilant. He had to protect. Thus, once again, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, right? Because of the shepherd who is with me, who protects. And that was was the responsibility of a king as well. So in different ways, a king was like a shepherd because he... Was to lead his people. He was to provide for his people. He was to protect his people. And in a real sense, as we look at Jesus as, as a king, we, we see him doing the very same thing. We see him as a shepherd king. First, he leads. He comes as a king establishing his kingdom. In fact, the pages of the Gospels, the central teaching theme of Jesus was what he described as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, that he he was bringing this rescue plan into place that would ultimately be made possible through his own death and resurrection. And as people put their faith and trust in him, they become part of this kingdom. This kingdom that gives us a new sense of identity, a new sense of purpose. This kingdom that can now provide direction and focus and orientation for our lives. This kingdom where our work, whatever our work may be, takes on new significance because we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And it's part of this kingdom as... As he is leading us, we are now to follow him. And we learn through the pages of scripture that this is, this is a journey of transformation. It's to be a journey of healing and restoration where he's working on me from the inside out, bringing, bringing wholeness into my life in a real sense, giving my, me my humanity back. But not only is it a journey of transformation, it's also a journey of mission. A journey where in different ways I'm given the opportunity to live out the values and the character of this new kingdom. So he leads. Not only that, he provides. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his scripture. He gives us his community. We are not intended to go through life on our own. We are not intended to face the challenges of life in isolation. And finally, he protects. He is fully aware that every season of life comes with its own dangers and challenges. That every course of our life, there are ways in which we can get caught off track. There are ways in which we can get stuck in unhealthy patterns of thinking or unhealthy patterns of behavior. And his spirit is, seeks to work in our lives to correct, to challenge, to encourage. So Matthew says, yes, I want you to see the nativity scene, but I also want you to go back and see that he is the son of David. He's the one who comes as a king, a shepherd king, to lead, to provide, to protect. Now, to understand this in personal terms, let me just ask you this question. As, as we come to the close of 2019, right? We're about to, we're hard to believe we're about to enter a new year, 2020. As we prepare to enter 2020, as you look at your own life, maybe in so many ways it feels like it's going well, things are clicking and things are moving forward. It's been a great year for you. But my question to you is, is, is there any part of your life, any situation, any relationship, any issue, any decision, where you would say, you know, so much of my life feels great, but... This is the pressure point. This is the the challenge right now that I'm most aware of as I finish this year and go into the next. This is for me a point of uncertainty, a point of challenge. Maybe you would say, this is is the part of my life right now where as we finish the year, it feels like there's there's a question mark right over this part of my life, right? This is kind of where the uncertainty just kind of hovers over my head. And if there's, you know, if there's any kind of sense of anxiety that sometimes takes root in my mind, it's because of this issue. This is where the question mark is. Is, is there something like that for you? Now, that's not necessarily the case, but I think for many of us, and just saying, you know, is there, is there this one area, this one issue, this one place where you would say, this is a question mark right now for me. This is the pressure point. This is the moment of uncertainty as I finish one year and enter the next. Maybe you're a student and you would say, you know, right now it's, this, it's just certain relationships in my peer group that just in so many ways pull me down and I, I don't know how to handle it well. I'm trying to navigate it well, but it, it is draining. Maybe you would say, you know, I'm, I've just started a new relationship or I'm looking for a relationship and I, I don't know how to process some things well or I've got some questions. And right now this is the question mark hanging over my life. Maybe in the course of this last year, there's been some transition in your life. You know, I've, I've started a new job. And maybe with this new job has come some new responsibility. So there's something new in my life this year. And it, it's, it's great, but it, man, I'm not, I'm not sure how well I'm doing. or I'm not sure how well I'm responding. Not sure how well I'm stepping into this new responsibility. And it's, it's a question mark. Maybe there's something that's been a sense of loss in your life. And, there's a question mark there in terms of how it looks like moving forward. Maybe even as we've been talking about challenges and struggles recently, the truth is there's something in your past that still hangs over you like the, this moment of uncertainty. And the big question mark is, how do I get through the shame or the hurt or the pain? Maybe there's certain relationships in your family my parents just don't get me, and I don't know how to move forward. Things have changed in my relationship uh, with my husband or my spouse, or it just feels like I've gotten, gotten distance in, in this relationship with my kids that I've never experienced before. What, is there a question mark for you? So we finish this year moving in to 2020. If that's the case, here's where I think this starts to really get practical and personal. If that is the case, what does it look like for me to say over this area of my life, over this question mark, whatever it is, what does it look like for me to say, Jesus is king? Jesus is king. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is king. What what does it look like for me to acknowledge that over this situation? And I think for many of us, we immediately push back and say, well, it's hard to do that because it doesn't feel like God is anywhere near this right now. I feel so alone or isolated. And I think we all get that. And yet, as we've already seen, remember, Jesus becomes king in a very unusual and unexpected way. So don't let the process distract you from the promise that Jesus is king. So the questions I would ask for you is, what what does it look like for me? this Christmas season, to acknowledge Jesus as King right here? What does it look like for me to acknowledge him as the King who leads? Maybe for you, acknowledging that needs to begin by by simply receiving the gift of new life that he offers. By accepting the message of Christmas, by becoming a follower of Jesus, which the Bible says we do through repentance and faith. In essence, for you, the first step of seeing Jesus as king is to personally acknowledge and receive him and receive him as king. For others of us, uh, maybe we've already started the journey of following Christ, so as I look at this situation, what does it look like for me to say, okay, Jesus, if you're king... Help me understand what, what obedience looks like. Even if I don't quite know what you're doing in this situation, help me to help me understand that I can respond. Help me be open to the fact that it's key and you want to be at work in my life even in these kinds of situations. That even in this moment that seems to be such a pressure point or question mark, this can actually be a place where you are at work. So, Father, I, I, I want to be open to that. i want to be open to Jesus as King, to respond to him in obedience. Recognizing this as a, a place where in light of the fact that he is King, in light of the fact his kingdom is already here, this is a place where you can be at work, both in me and through me. So Father, I want to be open to the idea that Jesus is the King who leads. What does it mean to acknowledge him as the King who provides? Maybe right now I just felt like, you know what, I'm all alone. I haven't even thought about God in this situation. Or maybe it felt, felt like I prayed, but I'm just praying, and prayers get stuck at the top of the ceiling. So, Father, I want, I want to acknowledge that Jesus is king, and even though I don't feel like you're with me right now, the fact that he is king means that he wants to provide. So I want to be open to the ways maybe I haven't been open to before that you're, you're trying to speak into my life and what that looks like. For instance, are, are there people you are wanting to bring into my life to walk this journey with me so that I'm not alone? Because you're the one, you're the king who provides. One of the exciting things to me about this series we, we finished up recently called The Struggle is Real was just seeing people step forward and saying, you know, this stuff is part of my life, but I don't want to go through it alone. And we don't have to because he's the king who provides. So as you think about that question mark, even now, are, are there ways in which God is seeking to provide and direct and encourage and nourish you that you need to be open to. And finally, over the season, what does it look like for me to acknowledge him as the king who protects? I think part of that is acknowledging that with these hard series and seasons of life can come places where it's easy to get off track. And for you, this question mark issue, whatever it may be, can be a place perhaps where it's easy to let negative thoughts just cycle and cycle through your mind. What does it look like for you to recognize that if you're a follower of Christ, God's spirit wants to work to move your thinking in a different direction? And how is he seeking to do that so that you don't get stuck? He wants to protect you in this moment because he is king. Matthew says, look, I want you to understand who Jesus is. And to do that, I want you to see him as the son of David. I want you to see him as the king, the shepherd king who comes to lead, who comes to provide, who comes to protect. Now we're going to move to a time of communion. And as we move to this time of communion, in a moment we're going to to pass the bread and the cup. And as the bread and the cup are passed, I ask you just to hold that and I'll come back in a moment and I will lead us through taking that together. But as we come to this time, as we celebrate communion, can I also challenge you, if there really is a question mark area over your life right now in some form or fashion, There really is that one issue where there's uncertainty and complexity as you move from 2019 into 2020. Can I just encourage you over the next few moments as we remember the death of Christ, and I just encourage you to see this as we're we're remembering Christ's enthronement as king. And therefore, because he is king, you, you can give this area back to him and can I just challenge you that this can be a moment, just in the quietness of where you're seated, where you just acknowledge once again God with Jesus as King, this is an area where he wants to lead. This is an area where he wants to provide. This is an area where he wants to protect. As we come to this time, will you acknowledge him as the son of David? Will you acknowledge him as the shepherd king? Let's pray together. Father Matthew is so intent, not only on allowing us to see the Christmas story, but also about allowing us and challenging us to see the backstory, including the truth that Jesus is he. And now as we come to celebrate his work on our behalf, as we come to remember his death and resurrection and the gift that he made on our behalf, Father, I pray that we can see that as the moment where he becomes king. And as we think about these areas in our lives where there are question marks or uncertainties, that these are places where he desires to rule as king. Would we be open to that truth this morning, this Christmas season, in Jesus' name, amen.